0: We're up to week three, which is actually our final week in this series called Steps of the Path. We have actually got a great Christmas series planned. We always do a special series leading into Christmas. Uh, This year, our series is called The Christmas Tree. And it's actually looking at the genealogy in the book of Matthew, which includes, which is remarkable uh, for the writings of the time, it actually includes five women in that uh, genealogy of Jesus and we're going to spend a week looking at each of those women and the significant lives that they led Uh, and so I'd encourage you to make sure you uh, come along come along for that but before we get there we've got this final week and we've been looking at these steps of the path and if you don't have a path guide They're out on the table at the front. Don't forget it on your way out. You can take one. They're free. You take one. It's a great little journal uh, that will help you as you pursue and seek spiritual growth. So I'd encourage you, I'll just get myself organized, to grab one of those uh, before you leave today and to have a look at it. Because we've been working through and looking at this um, discipleship theme this year. And part of the discipleship path is it gives us a really well-guided way of spiritual growth. We talked a few weeks ago um, at the start of this series that one of the things that we really struggle with is, firstly, uh, the cost of spiritual growth. We want to grow, we know we want our faith to look different in three months, six months, 12 months to what it does today but we struggle with the cost of that, that sometimes the self-discipline, the decisions, the things that we need to give up uh, are too costly for us. And we saw that one of the other reasons why we struggle with spiritual growth is that we don't know where to start. We don't know where to start. And we want to grow, but we think, I'll just pray more, I'll just read my Bible more, but I don't actually know specifically what I should be drilling in on and what I should be focusing on. And that's why this PATH guide has got uh, these four, it's an acronym, Um, hopefully that's up on the screen, yep, it's these eight areas of spiritual growth. They're not the only eight areas, but they are a great place to start. And so this acronym is PATH, P, participating in God's story, which comes under it, evangelism and service, the A, which is aware of God's presence, which is prayer and formation, T, transformed by God's Word, which is Scripture and theology, and H, which is helping God's family, fellowship and church. So if we know that those are eight great ways of pursuing spiritual growth, maybe there's one there that stands out to you already that you really would love to grow in. Uh, That's great that you know what to grow in, but then it's the how-to, which is often where we get stuck. And that's what we've been looking at, these steps of the path over the last couple of weeks, uh, and we've seen that there are there is this continual cycle of spiritual growth. The first one, which I spoke about in the first week of this series, is discern. That is, choosing and deciding with the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God, where do you want me to focus? What do you want me to grow in? And for, perhaps for you it's Scripture, maybe it's evangelism, maybe it's um, participating in God's family through service, uh, whatever it is. Discern through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, that focus area for you. Pastor James last week spoke about learn and practice. Uh, I was actually out leading kids last week. That's how desperate we've got for kids leaders. So if you're you're interested, let me know. Um, But I was out leading kids last week and had a great time out there, uh, but caught up online. And Pastor James preached a great sermon. And it's an awesome opportunity for me to thank... Pastor Greg and Jamison, who every single week record the sermons, they fix them up, they get them ready, they put them online so we can watch them. But Pastor James spoke about this concept of Shema, which is in the, in the uh, Hebrew, they, they didn't talk about listening and then obeying, they spoke about them as one concept. It was this idea that if you hear God's Word, that you will then act on God's Word. It was one idea. And Pastor James spoke about that, about that listening and that doing. And so that leads us to this fourth step, which is reflect. So I've discerned what I'm going to uh, focus on for growth. I've learned about that area. I've put it into practice. And now I'm reflecting. And in the Path Guides, you'll see this summary for this step. It says, The path is not a legalistic checklist, but a spirit-led partnership with the Lord. The heart of reflection process is to ask... Are my steps of faith producing spiritual fruit? This is a moment to pause, evaluate and refocus your efforts to take the steps that grow your love for the Lord. Recently uh, at my kids' school, they must have had some focus on plants or plant life or something in science because all of a sudden at home appeared a couple of plants one of them was in a mug one of them was in a bag which seemed really strange and you had to stick it to the window but we put them up on the windowsill and the kids I mean they've lost interest now but uh, for the first couple of weeks of those plants being there They were so excited. Every day they raced to the window uh, to see whether there had been some growth, to see whether or not they could see the shoots sticking out of the soil. They would literally run across the room in this race to have a look at the growth that was happening in those plants. I remember a time as a kid that I discovered... A, a potato at the, at the back of the pantry and this potato had started to have like little shoots coming out and I was convinced as a as I don't know maybe an eight or nine year old that if I planted that in the backyard that I'd be able to grow potatoes and I remember for weeks and weeks and weeks, I would go out and I would stare at the soil. And sometimes I'd convince myself that something was coming through. I dug it up a couple of weeks later and, and nothing happened. But um, I just remember the, the expectation and the excitement and the constant checking, the reflecting to see whether or not there was growth. And you see, that should be the story of our spiritual lives as well. I wonder how often we actually stop and we pause and we, with a sense of excitement or enthusiasm or desire, take, a, take a, do a stock take of our spiritual lives and look for growth. I wonder when the last time was that you looked for growth because when we're pursuing Christ, when we're living as disciples, there should be growth and that growth should be evident. That little summary spoke of fruit. And it's, it's, there's many places where we could find that within Scripture. But if we look at John's Gospel in chapter 15, and I'd encourage you to turn there. Uh, John, John's Gospel says this. Jesus is speaking and he says, I'm the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they'll produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I'm the vine and you are the branches." Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings glory to my Father." see, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he's gathered them around, and he gives them this analogy of the grapevine. And this would have been significant to them, because you can find this same analogy playing out throughout the Old Testament at various parts. He speaks of the vine, and this is a word I learnt this week, the viticulturalist. I bet none of you knew that if you walk out of this sermon and that's the only thing you've learned it's a bit of a shame but still you've learned something the viticulturalist the person who tends to the vine the gardener the person who lovingly shapes and tends to it and and that was this analogy was this idea of God as this gardener who is coming and lovingly tending to and shaping the vine you see, Jesus makes this very clear connection for us between the way we should live, the choices we should make, and what the outcome of that will be. He's not speaking about salvation. This is not talking about coming to faith. He's speaking to a group of people who have already come to faith in Him, and He's speaking to them about the effect that that choice to pursue Christ should have in their life. He's talking about the effect, and you'll notice what He says He says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. So if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And I want to make a really clear distinction this morning because Jesus doesn't say, once you know me, then I want you to put all your effort into making fruit. Once you know me, once you come into a relationship with me, I want you to try really, really, really hard to produce fruit. He says, if you abide in me, then fruit is the natural outcome. So if you choose to abide in me, then you will produce fruit. So the focus here is on this word abiding. And I had a look this week and in the Greek, this idea of abiding, um, as, as probably in the English as well, means to remain or to stay. And it was often used, and you can see it in the New Testament, used in the context of abiding with someone. So staying in their house. So actually residing with them and staying in their presence. And so how do we do that? This passage says, abide in me and then you'll produce fruit. And we abide in the way that Pastor James spoke about last week. We abide in God's presence by hearing the word of God and by obeying it. By hearing the word of God and by obeying it, by constantly Seeking to position our lives in a place where we are led by the Spirit, where we are in Christian community, where we are seeking uh, truth through God's Word and we are being uh, shaped by our time in worship and prayer. You see, this is how we abide, by prioritizing our spiritual life, our spiritual self, which is the very essence of who we are, by prioritising that over other things. And so then it's, it's well, if we abide in Christ, then how do we know we're producing fruit? And I would say, and I'd encourage you this week, to do a fruit check, to spend some time reflecting on your own life and to do a fruit check. And by that I mean there's two steps. There's an, an internal process and there's our external process. The internal pro- process... Uh, King David in the Psalms gives us a really clear insight into, the, the, this, um, into this, this practice. Because at the start, remember, when we talked about discern, we spoke about the Holy Spirit helping us to discern, and it's the Holy Spirit who helps us to reflect. If you have a look at Psalm 139 and verse uh, 23 and 24, you probably know this psalm. King David cries out to God and says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, I'll tell you what, if there ever was a scary prayer to pray, isn't that it? Because I think this is the key thing. And Jesus speaks on this over and over and over again to the Pharisees within the Gospels as, as they are showing all the outward signs of fruit. They're showing all the outward signs of holiness. And yet within them is this selfish ambition, is this pride. And what David is praying is, God, know me, search my heart, know what is motivating me and lead me along the right path. And that's that internal fruit check. It's saying, God, what is motivating my actions? The things that I am doing, the things that I am seeking, what is motivating them? And then the second check is the external fruit check. So it's actually saying, God, where are the practical examples of fruit in my life? And this is uh, something that I, you could even ask your connect group, um, perhaps someone who you read the Bible with, or just a friend who is a Christian. Say to them, "Are there, is there evidence of fruit in my life that you can see? And when we talk about fruit, that's kind of a strange concept, but Galatians chapter 5 gives us really practical examples of the fruit that should be in the life of the believer. And it says this, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I'm not going to ask you this morning to go through and tick which ones of those you nailed this week because that might be uh, a bit too confronting. But in a practical sense, that is what the, the work of the Spirit in our lives, that when we're abiding in Christ, we're open to the leading of the Spirit in our each and every day and that guides the way that we respond to others, that we respond to the things that are happening around us, that we treat the marginalized and the vulnerable and and... And so for, in a practical way, what this might look like is it might be that there's been a change in your attitude towards that colleague that you find so annoying. And everyone has one of those. It might be that you're seeing a change or you're seeking a change in your attitude that maybe you've started to pray for them. And in praying for them, you've actually had this sense of love and compassion and patience built up within you. Maybe it's that you're actively loving people in your neighborhood more. Maybe it is that you are responding in gentleness where you once responded in anger. Maybe it is that you're generously sowing your finances into Christian community. Maybe it is an abiding sense of joy and peace in the midst of personal difficulty. These are the fruit of the Spirit in your life when you're abiding in Christ and it will transform the way that you live. It will transform the way that you respond. And so I'd ask you this morning to ask yourself, am I abiding in God? Am I dwelling in His presence? Is that where I've set up my tent or made my home in the presence of God? Because that's His invitation to us, isn't it? It's am I hearing the Word of God and am I obeying it? Because if you are, then there'll be fruit. And so that is the reflect part. Hopefully it's given you a few practical things. The last p- step of this path guide is celebrate. Celebrate. And it says this, when you see growth along the discipleship path, there will be moments of celebration where you'll thank the Lord for the work He's doing in your life and receive encouragement from fellow Jesus followers, You see, it's important to, once we've reflected, to then celebrate. It's important to celebrate the growth that is happening in our lives. And this is not a, look at me, look what a great Christian I am. Look how holy I am. Look how annoying that person is and and how gracious and loving I've been towards them. It's not that at all. It's not about um, puffing ourselves up, but rather it is about celebrating. Look what God is doing in my life. Look at the work of the Spirit in this situation where I'm responding in a way that I know is not natural for me. I'm maybe I'm prone to anger and I responded yesterday in gentleness praise God look at the work of the spirit in me and I'd say to you this morning particularly if you're taking notes that there are two parts to this celebrating there is remembering and there is rejoicing so when we celebrate we're remembering and we're rejoicing you see I think we're pretty ordinary at remembering God's work in our lives Maybe it's just me, and if it's just me, you can tell me afterwards. But I think we're pretty ordinary at remembering God's work in our lives. And it's not unique to us, because this whole pattern of the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament was that God would would do something amazing, and they would rejoice, and they would praise Him. And then within not, not many years later, they would turn their backs on Him, and they would deal with the consequences of it, and then God would come through and rescue them again, And they would say, God, you're amazing, you're amazing. And then what would they do? They would quickly forget God's goodness. They would quickly forget the work of God in their lives. And you see, I think we run the risk when we don't remember and be intentional about remembering the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's very easy to go back to our old way of living. It's very easy to not notice or recognize that growth. And so we have to remember, and we have to be intentional about remembering. A few years ago, I spoke on this, um, this passage in the book of Joshua, and I'm just going to bring it back to your memory. If you weren't here, that's okay. You can go back and watch that message. But we saw this moment in the book of Joshua, and it's in chapter 4 if you have your Bibles there. But what had happened was the Israelites were getting ready to step into the promised land, this place that God had promised to them, this place where they had been waiting and hoping for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And here they are as they cross the Jordan River. God miraculously parts the waters for them and they make their way across. And the first thing that God tells them to do, you think it'd be, have a big party have a big party, you're finally here, or maybe it's go and conquer and take the land that I'm giving to you. But the first thing that God tells them in verse 3 of Joshua chapter 4 is that they just send one person from each of the tribes to go back to the middle of the river where the water was parted, where the Ark of the Covenant, God's physical presence on earth, had stood and to take a stone to pick up a stone from that very place and to carry it across and take it into the promised land. And in Joshua verse, uh, sorry chapter 4 and verse 6, it says this, We will use those stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. And then in verse 21, Joshua says to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river before your eyes, and He kept it dry until you were across, just as He did at the Red Sea when He dried it up until we had crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. You see, God says to them, before you do anything else, I want you to memorialize this moment. I want you to build a memorial that is visible so that you won't forget the work of God in your life. I want you to take a moment so that for the generations to come, that there will be this example, there will be this reminder that God has done something great for you. And I think we need to do that same thing in our own lives. You see, when Cindy and I moved, it's nearly, what, two years ago. We felt God saying to us, hey, move. And so we did. The market, as you know, probably, if you've lived in Canberra for more than about two minutes, went berserk at the same time. And we were turning up to houses that had like literally 100 people at them we would be queued five, six houses down the street and we would walk in and we we would walk in and we would go for a quick wander around and we would go to the agent and say, what's the guide price? And that's, oh, you know, maybe like 900 or whatever. And we would throw an offering that was more than that. And he'd say, well, actually, I've already had six offers and we're now at 1.2 million. And, and we, we just, we constantly were just praying and seeking God. It was very, very frustrating, um, and it seemed impossible. We didn't set our sights high. We weren't praying for a pool. We weren't. We we're actually praying against a pool, but we weren't praying for you know some amazing dwelling. We just believed that God would would open the right door, and we had this about. It was about a week before it was going to become really problematic for us. We'd looked for two and a half months. If you want to talk about the housing market in Canberra, I've seen every home there is to see. But we, we looked and we looked and we looked. And in that last week, there was about 13 things that God lined up. And, and when I say 13 things, they were like every single box was ticked. All of these things that everyone was telling us. And we had friends saying to us, you, you're going to have to rent. This is impossible. You're not going to get anywhere. Um, you know, you'll have to rent. And we just kept trusting God. And, and when it all lined up and we had this amazing um, provision that God had, had given us this home, um, I actually, Cindy and I stopped and the very first thing we did was we made this dot point list of all the things that God had done to bring that about. And if you had have asked me a week ago, um, has God done anything in your life? I'd say, oh, well, yeah, this, this and this. Oh, and he, he brought us through and, and provided us a home. And if you had said, well, specifically, what did he do? I would have gone, oh, um, I know that there was some stuff, but I don't really remember. But this week I went back and I found that list and I read it again. And I've got to say to you, church, that that, uh, that just reading that built so much faith in my spirit. It built so much hope in my heart for the days that are ahead because I could see the hand of God. I I was was remembering, just like the Israelites were to go and look at that memorial and look at those stones and remember the hand of God in their life, that as I read that list, that was God's work in our situation, God's work in our lives. Uh, it built so much faith, and i I started to rejoice as I remembered I started to praise god and I, and I spent some time in my office just saying thank you God, thank you for your goodness thank you that no one could look at that and say that that wasn't you thank you for for the way that you enabled us to trust you and in trusting you, you did what you had told us you were going to and i I wonder how many of those moments you have in your own life that are waiting to be dusted off? How many of those own lists, how many of those own memorials that you have in your own life that you need to start uncovering, that you need to start pulling the the covers off and you need to start dusting off and you need to start reminding yourself of God's goodness in your life, that you need to start reminding yourself of the way that God had come through for you in a time when you needed it. And I'd encourage you to do that. You see, because rejoicing, that, that uh, celebrating God's work in our lives starts by remembering. And I tell you what, unless you are uh, intentional about making a physical memory, about writing it down, about taking a photo, about um, uh, telling people what God has done, it is very easy to forget his goodness. It is very easy that when you've grown spiritually to forget that when trouble comes. And so once we remember, we then rejoice. And Psalm 77 is a, is a psalm as the psalmist is writing this if you look at the verses before we're going to look at verse 11 but the verses before the psalmist is is crying out to God and he's speaking of a time where he is struggling to see God's hand at work it actually says that he is so distressed that he can't even bring himself to pray and in the midst of that moment he writes this psalm and he says but then I recall then I remember All you have done, O Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. O God, your ways are holy. See, he remembers, and then he starts rejoicing. O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. And so that remembering flows into rejoicing. as we we begin to remember and mark down the work that God is doing in your life, even if it is the tiniest bit of fruit, even if it is, is a tiny apple on that tree of your life, if there is a little bit of fruit there, I would encourage you to make a note of it so that you remember it, because in remembering it, that work of the Holy Spirit in your life will bring you joy. It will bring you back to remembering God's hand. It will bring you back to remembering the fulfillment of His promises to you. And so as we close today, we're actually going to come to maybe the most significant time of remembering within the Christian faith. If you've got your communion, I'd encourage you to grab that out. Cindy will be coming around if anyone uh, didn't grab it on the way in. But this is the ultimate reminder, isn't it? Scripture tells us that we are to take communion, to break the bread and to drink the wine or drink the juice, to remember the ultimate spiritual transformation in our lives, to remember the ultimate work of the Holy Spirit in restoring us back to God. And so as we take this, we're reminded of Matthew 26, one of the the gospel accounts of this moment where Jesus gathers his disciples together just before he's taken to the cross. And he gathers them together and he breaks the bread and he gives it to his disciples and he says to them, take this and eat it for this is my body. Take it and eat it for this is my body. And he takes the cup of wine and he hands it to them and he says, drink from it. For this is my blood, which confirms the new covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And you see, that's what we do when we take communion is that we remember. The whole idea is that we remember the sacrifice of Christ. We remember the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that has restored us into relationship with him, that has given us access to this promise that has meant that we we no longer need to fear death we no, no longer need to be controlled by our sinful nature but instead we can live in liberty and freedom because of Christ and that's what this moment is it's remembering and it brings us to a moment of rejoicing of saying thank you god for your goodness Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for the transforming power in our lives. Let's pray. Our good God, we we just thank you that you are uh, bringing us back time and time again to the ultimate work of the Spirit in our lives. You bring us back time and time again to the fulfillment of this promise, this new covenant this new promise from God to us, which restores us to life, which provides to us the empowering of the Spirit and means that we no longer need to fear death. And so, Christ, this morning, as we take this bread, we remember and we rejoice. We thank you for your body that was broken, for us let's eat together and Lord we take the cup this juice that reflects your blood that was spilled for us that washes us clean that restores us to you the perfect spotless lamb whose blood was poured out for the sins of many. And we rejoice. We thank you for new life. We thank you for the hope. We thank you for the promises that you have given us. Let's drink together. Lord, that we would never become immune to how amazing this 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 covenant is, how amazing this moment of remembering and rejoicing is, that we would never lose sight of the awe, The God, you sent your perfect son, and he came, and he lived, and he died, and he rose again, and he restored us. We're so grateful for that. We pray that that would bring hope and rejoicing and celebrating to our hearts. Lord, we pray for this path. Lord, that it would not be a moment, but it would be a continual process. That we would as a church and as individuals continually seek growth, seek spiritual growth, seek the transforming of your spirit, that we wouldn't be content to just live as we are now, but we would be continually pursuing you. That we would be prioritizing the things of God that the things in our lives, Lord God, that have taken the place of you, that have have risen up and, and have become the most prominent, the most important, Lord God, that you would help us to put them in perspective, Father, that we would uh, put you before all things, the Holy Spirit, that we would be, uh, that we would have soft hearts and spirits, and would be sensitive to your leading and to your guiding. Lord, we pray that we would be able to look back in three months, in six months, and 12 months, and in five years' time and see the work of your Spirit in our lives and celebrate this spiritual growth. And Lord, we just commit that to you. In Jesus' name, amen.